Chapter Twenty Eight of Agincourt, a Romance by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Friend Estranged. Trumpet and timbrel were sounding in the streets of Ghent. The people in holiday costume were thronging bridge and market place. The procession of the trades was once more afoot, with banners displayed. The clergy were hurrying here and there with cross and staff, and all the ensigns of the Romish church. It was a high holiday, for the young Count had given notice, immediately on his arrival, that he would be ready in an hour before Compline, which may be considered about six o'clock in the evening, to receive the honourable corps of the good town, in order to return them thanks, in the name of his father, for the liberal aid they had granted him in a time of need and flushed with loyalty to their prince, well, I wot, a somewhat unusual occurrence, and with a full sense of their own meritorious sacrifices, each man pressed eagerly to be one of the deputies who were to wait upon the count, and if that might not be, to go at least as far as the palace gates with those who were to be admitted. All the nobles who had accompanied the count from Lille were present in the great hall of the Cour des Princes, where the reception was to take place, except, indeed, Richard of Woodville. He, soon after he had arrived, had begged the Count's excuse for absenting himself from his train, and hurrying to the inn where he had left Ned Dyram, with his horses and baggage, he dismounted from his charger and cast off his armour. To his inquiries for his servant, the host replied that he had not been there since the morning, and, indeed, seldom appeared there all day. But Woodville seemed to pay little attention to this answer, and, merely washing the dust from his face and neck, set out at a hurried pace on foot. He thought that he knew the way to the place which he intended to visit well, though he had only followed it once, and, passing on, he was soon out of the stream of people that was still flowing on towards the palace. But he found himself mistaken in regard to his powers of memory. Long, tortuous streets, totally deserted for the time, lay around him. Tall houses, principally built of wood, rose on every side, throwing fantastic shadows across the broad sunshine afforded by the sinking sun. And when he at length stopped a workman to ask his way, the man spoke nothing but Flemish, and all that Woodville had acquired of that tongue was insufficient to make the artisan comprehend what was meant. Leaving him, the young knight walked on, guided by what he remembered of the direction in which the house of Sir John Grey lay, for it is hardly needful to tell the reader that thither his steps were bent, when suddenly a cavalcade of some five or six horsemen appeared, coming at a slow pace up the street, and the tall, graceful figure of a man somewhat past the middle age, but evidently of distinguished rank, was seen at their head. The garb was changed, the whole look and demeanour was different. But, even before he could see the features, Richard of Woodville recognised the very man he was seeking, and, hurrying on to meet him, he advanced to his source's side. Sir John Grey gazed on him coldly, however, as if he had never seen him before, and Woodville felt somewhat surprised and mortified, not well knowing whether the old knight's memory were really so much shorter than his own, or whether fortune, with Mary's father, had possessed the power it has over so many, to change the aspect of the things around, 
and blot out the love and gratitude of former days as things unworthy of remembrance. Do you not know me, Sir John Grey? he asked. If so, let me recall to your good remembrance Richard of Woodville, who brought you tidings from the king and also some news of your sweet daughter. I know you well, sir, replied the knight. Would I knew less? I hear you have acquired honour and renown in arms. God give you grace to merit more. I must ride on, I fear. His manner was cold and distant, his brow grave and stern. But Woodville was not one to bear such a change altogether calmly, though, for his sweet Mary's sake. He laid a strong constraint upon himself. I know not, Sir John Grey, he said, what has produced so strange a change in one whom I had thought steadfast and firm, whether calmer thought and higher fortunes than those in which I first found you may have engendered loftier views, or reawakened slumbering ambition, so that you regret some words you spoke in the first liberal joy of renewed prosperity, but— Cease, sir, cease, exclaimed the old knight. I should indeed regret those words, could they be binding in a case like this. Steadfast and firm I am, and you will find me so, but not loftier views, or reawakened ambition has made the change, but better knowledge of a man I trusted on a fair seeming. But these things are not to be discussed here in the open street before servants and horse-boys. You know your own heart, you know your own actions, and if they do not make you shrink from discussing what may be between you and me... Shrink? cried Richard of Woodville vehemently. Why should I shrink? Shrink from discussing aught that I have done? No, by my knighthood, not before all the world, varlets or horse-boys, princes or peers. I care not who hears my every action blazoned to the day. But I do, sir, replied Sir John Grey, for the sake of those dear to us both, for your good uncle's sake, and for my child's. You are compassionate, Sir John, said Woodville bitterly, but then he added, yet no, you are deceived, I know not how or by whom, but there is some error that is very clear. This I must crave leave to say, that I am fearless of the judgment of mortal man on aught that I have done. Sins have we all to God, but I defy the world to say that I have failed in honour to one man on earth. According to that worldly code of honour we once spoke of, perhaps not, replied Sir John Grey. According to what fastidious code you will, said the young knight, I stand here willing, Sir John Grey, to have each word or deed sifted, like wheat before a cottage door. I know not your charge, or who it is that brings it, but I will disprove it, whatever it be, when it is clearly stated, and will cram his falsehood down his throat, whenever I know his name who makes it. "'Ha, sir, is it of me you speak?' demanded the knight somewhat sharply. "'No, Sir John,' replied Woodville. "'You are to be the judge, for you,' he added, with a sorrowful smile, "'hold the high prize. "'But it is of him who has foully calumniated me to you. "'For that someone has done, so I can clearly see, "'and I would know the charge and the accuser, here, now.' on this spot, for I am not one to rest under suspicion, even for an hour. You speak boldly, Sir Richard of Woodville, answered Sir John Grey, and doubtless think that you are right, though I may not, for I am one who have long lived in solitude, pondering men's deeds, and weighing them in a nicer balance than the world is wont to use. However, as I said before, 
This is no place to discuss such things. But, as it is right and just that each man should have occasion to defend himself, I will meet you where you will, and when, to tell you what men lay to your charge. If you can then deny it and disprove it, well, I will not speak more here. See, someone seeks your attention. Whatever it is that any man on earth accuses me of, replied the young knight, without attending to Sir John Gray's last words, I am ready ever to meet boldly, for my heart is free. As you will not give me this relief, I ask even now, it cannot be too soon. I will either go with you at once to your own house. No, that must not be, cried the other hastily. Or else, continued Woodville, I will meet you two hours hence in the hostel called the Garland, on the market-place. What would you, knave? he added, turning suddenly upon someone who had more than once pulled his sleeve from behind, and beholding Ned Dyram. I would speak with you instantly, Sir Knight, replied Dyram, on a matter of life and death. Shall it be so, sir? Richard of Woodville continued, looking again to Sir John Grey, who repeated thoughtfully, in two hours. Sir, will you listen to me? exclaimed Dyram in great agitation. Indeed you must. There is not a moment to lose. I tell you it will bear no delay. If you would save her life, you must come at once. Her life? cried Woodville in great surprise. Whose life? Of whom do you speak, man? Of whom? Of Ella Brood, to be sure, replied Dyram. If you stay talking longer, you leave her to death. Sir John Grey, with a bitter smile, shook his bridle, and striking his heel against his horse's flank, rode on. End of chapter 28